G'day, you're listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show for your science on a Sunday on Canberra 2 X Community Radio. I'm Tom Strait. Uh, this morning we've got a guest presenter here, Atul. Hey everyone. And Stephanie Davis is our guest. Um, she's an epidemiologist from the ANU. Uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, it's great to have you here. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about coronavirus this morning, and I've got a whole bunch of questions that I'm keen to ask you. What have you, what have you been... You, you've been out on Christmas Island. Tell us about what you've been up to, who you are. What, <laughs> yeah, so, so my background, as you said, is as an epidemiologist. Um, yeah. I originally started probably... Op- Maybe if I give a bit of background about myself to Great. Yeah. tell you how I got to this stage, because most people don't know what an epidemiologist is. Sorry, I should have explained that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. I'm, most people think it's something to do with skin or ears, and I'm pretty sure my parents still don't quite know what I do. Um, so I um, started off doing medicine many years ago when I finished school, um, and I worked up in the Northern Territory for a bit, and quickly became interested in public health, which is sort of looking at the population as a whole because you you know when you see people in poor health states you realize the effect that the environment and various other factors have on them on their individual health um, and my way into public health was doing a course run by ANU called the Master of Applied Epidemiology. Now that's Australia's field epidemiology training program. So it's part of a network of programs around the globe that um, sends people into health departments and other research institutes to study epidemiology for a few years. And I happen to be doing... So the, the spread of diseases. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. exactly what you say. Epidemiology is the diseases in the population as a whole. So looking at who gets sick, where they get sick, why they get sick, um, and then uh-huh. trying to use that knowledge to stop people from getting sick. So that's why we've got you in today to yes. talk about coronavirus. Exactly. You're the perfect person. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, during that time when I was doing my epidemiology, swine flu happened. It was 2009. So that's sort of how I got interested in infectious diseases. And uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, so um, I, I've done a bit of work in various infectious diseases. I work as a GP in Canberra a day a week and, and then work at ANU um, uh, 2.5, oh, sorry, yeah, two and a half days a week as well. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, awesome. And you're saying you're just out on Christmas Island? Yeah. So I was deployed with OSMAT, the Australian Medical Assistance Team, which uh, deployed out of Darwin to go to Christmas Island to support the um, evacuation of Australians from Wuhan, um, which was a really, um, really, really interesting experience. So, yeah. Yeah. What was amazing. that like? How did that? Um, it was, I mean, it was hard work, but. I mean, it was really inspiring to be, you know, it's a lot of work around screening and making sure people weren't getting sick and, you know, trying to make sure that um, everyone was as healthy as possible. But it was the the evacuees, I I can't speak more highly of how lovely they were as a group and how, I suppose... Yeah, wonderful it was to work with people who were just so positive. It was really great. So, so yeah. did I, I don't know, did many people get... Did anyone have coronavirus? No. no n- so nobody our, had it? None of our evacuees had oh, okay. coronavirus, no. Huh. Yeah. So, so you went out and you screened them and you're like, oh, you're yeah. all sweet. And yeah. So they yeah. were there for the two-week quarantine period. So yeah. we think that two weeks is the incubation so period for coronavirus. Could you not yeah. test them, though, and just find out immediately if they had it or not? Um, so, I mean, the issue, there's, there's various issues around testing... Um, which include things like how often do you test someone because if someone may have it one may have uh, 
evidence of the virus one day, but then not have it the next day, or vice versa. So the the policy was around screening clinically instead of testing. Yeah. Right. So it, what you can test them, and it doesn't necessarily show if they have it or not. Well, if someone's in the incubation period and you test them, they yep. may develop the virus two days later. So, so there might be a little bit of virus in yep. the system, but not but, enough. But not enough for the test to detect. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So, so it's a whole it's a whole other <laughs> other discussion around testing, but yeah, at, at the policy we were using was around clinical screening. Yeah. What was it like for you as a healthcare practitioner? Um, like, did you have to wear lots of hazmat suits when you were going and talking to these kind of perfectly ordinary Australians? <laughs> in yeah, um, yeah. What was it like for you, just trying to protect yourself from this potentially contagious, deadly virus? Yeah, I mean. Um, I'm going to pull you off on a couple of things there. Okay. <laughs> One is that they're ordinary Australians from the get-go, not not just. Oops, sorry. Even if they do, even have, even coronavirus. They do have coronavirus, yeah. and, <laughs> and I think we've you know we've we've just got to be a bit cautious when we're talking about potentially deadly virus and that kind of terminology because okay. that inspires fear, and fear is a big problem with infectious diseases and can lead to stigmatisation of certain groups. So I think we just need to be a little bit cautious with that. Um, in terms of the protective equipment we used, so we were, for clinical procedures, we were using personal protective equipment, which the recommendations we were following Australian guidelines, which is to protect your eyes, to wear a mask and wear a gown and gloves. Um, and that's really thought to be adequate for this virus okay. rather than the full the full hazmat. That you so do. if you're doing that properly, then your chances of infection are, are fairly low or yeah, almost non-existent. Yeah, that's, okay. that, okay. that's If you're doing it properly, a you're putting mask, it on and you're taking it off properly. A well-fitted yep. mask, a well-fitted yep. goggles. Yeah. And, and a, yeah, I guess not... Yeah. And, and the key is around taking it all off properly so uh -huh. you don't contaminate yourself when you're taking yeah. it off. Yeah. The evacuees were also wearing masks on yeah. the off chance that one of them was developing symptoms, but they were they were asked to wear masks outside masks outside their rooms as well. Um, so how did how did you feel about going going over? Um, I think I mean it was a bit um, I think nerve wracking to start with because it was a little bit it was all very done very quickly and um, there wasn't much time to prepare. But it was I mean like I said it was hard work logistically getting the setup, but it was very rewarding ultimately. Yeah. Really really great people. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well done. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. For <laughs> How great is it we have someone who's literally from the field? I don't know. Amazing. That's right. Um, so, are, are we allowed to call it coronavirus? Because is the common cold can also be a, a coronavirus? Is a coronavirus? Or yeah. Some versions of it are. Yeah. So it's a good. Um, it, it's a good question. So, I mean. The formal name for the disease that WHO is using is COVID-19. That's okay. the name which has been given to this particular strain of coronavirus. So coronavirus is a whole is a is a big big I suppose group of viruses which have certain characteristics in common. Yep. And within those are some um, they've they've all got terribly terrible names that you can't remember. Things like HQU1 and zero c43 and stuff so no one's going to remember those right. but these ones are already, absolutely already circulating in the population right and may you may have had one in the past and just had a cold there are also other viruses that cause the cold like rhinovirus or respiratory respiratory syncytial virus so the cold's really a, a constellation of symptoms the right. virus causing it is what we're interested in. I mean, we, you, I think it's probably more accurate to call it a novel coronavirus or COVID-19, just to differentiate it from the other coronaviruses. So we need a better nickname, really. 
Probably, yeah. yeah. So something a bit catchier than yeah. COVID nineteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are actually um, any suggestions? Not, not from me. There is. It, there's interestingly, there's actually WHO guidelines on best practice for naming viruses. So okay. if, you, if you if you need some light reading, have a look at them. <laughs> okay. <quite interesting>. Yeah. <laughs> have you got any ideas at all about oh, what to call it? Ooh. Look, so, COVID nineteen sounds a bit like a rap, like something you would put in a rap song. Oh, you like it? Okay. Yeah, it kind of works. You okay. Kind of make it a thing, but that's just my opinion. Yep. I feel like I'm the minority in this room. <laughs> <laughs> so, what should we go with for the rest of the interview? Coronavirus or COVID nineteen? Ooh, um, definitely we not. Can, we can probably say novel coronavirus. You can go with novel we coronavirus. Yeah. The, uh, the, <laughs> the <academic. laughs> follow terminology yeah. for the rest of the. the procedure. Yeah. Um. So. You're going to tell us a little bit about how how we get diseases in the first place. So where did where did the coronavirus come from? Where did new diseases come from, Stephanie? Yeah, look, I think um, this is a really interesting area for because it really highlights how as humans we interact with our environment. So the best evidence we've got is that the novel coronavirus came from um, bats originally. Its genetic makeup is very similar to other viruses which are carried by bats. Okay. Um, and that's similar to SARS and MERS. You've probably heard of them. Yes. So they are other coronaviruses which also have a bat reservoir. So the question how it actually got from bats to humans is a little bit more complex. It probably required an intermediary host. So we know okay. that bats have coronaviruses circulating all the time. They don't necessarily get sick with them. But then they need an intermediary host which then transmits it to humans. So for SARS, we think it was civet cats. For MERS, we think it was camels. For coronavirus, it's not really clear at the moment. There's some okay. discussions around whether it's a, a pangolin, which is something I've never heard of before. Okay. It's that it's a little <laughs> lizardy kind of thing. Okay, I'll Google that after this. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely seen some um, some photos of those in the news. But yeah. Why do you need an intermediate tree host? Well, yeah, I mean, for the virus, to, so it. It's um, it, it's for the virus to actually get to a human. You need it to be in, in physical contact with the human. And the, there's two ingredients, really. So the first is the physical contact with the human, and the second is it needs to be able to attach to a human. So the intermediary host allows it to have potentially very close contact with the human, more so than a bat would. So, okay. oh, so it's just because we're not eating enough bats or to, uh, possibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. to get in contact directly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. But, it, but it's also there's some... With some viruses, some that come from animals, there's some, uh, probably the intermediary host allows it to develop characteristics that actually allow it to attach onto human cells. Okay. So viruses need to attach to a, they're, they're different to bacteria, they're not self-sustaining, they have to actually attach to a cell to replicate. So they need, so the virus will need some kind of way of attaching to a human cell and it may acquire that mutation or that ability within the intermediary host. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? So it makes yeah. it a more diverse... Yeah, it, it, the Less, intermediary might help it get that ability to actually be directly be able to infect humans. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. otherwise it might be too adapted to just one yeah. species. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There were yeah. early reports that um, the coron the novel coronavirus yeah. um, originated in, I think, the local fish market in, in, in the yeah. yeah. I was wondering if you can comment on that. So could it potentially be fishes or maybe the, even the water that could be uh, acting as an intermediary, I guess? Yeah, I mean, that would be really unlikely from what okay. we know about how the viruses infect others and how coronaviruses exist. So fish would be a very unlikely intermediary host. Okay. Probably more like, again, the, the, my understanding is, and is that the live seafood is a bit of a misnomer. It's a live animal market generally yeah. where there may okay. be They sell animals. pangolins there as well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so there could be other animals or other, yeah. other um, yeah. intermediary. Okay. But as you say, the vast majority of 
the very early cases had contact with that market. So it's really good evidence that that's probably where that's it originated from. That's a good starting point, from. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. Stephanie, what's the current status of coronavirus around the world? How's uh, it going? Well, so, I mean, if the sort of the best information on this is from the WHO who put out situation reports about this each day which are publicly available so the most recent one is from yesterday um, and at that point there were 85,403 globally confirmed cases so confirmed being that they've been lab tested positive for coronavirus um, of the 79,394 were in China and outside of China were 6,009 What's probably six thousand and nine cases outside, outside of China. Outside so that's China. a huge change, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, because of before it was maybe a hundred a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, and probably the big difference as well is that previously, if you looked at the number of new cases per day, the number of new cases was always greater within China. Whereas now you've got four hundred and thirty-five cases newly diagnosed in China versus 1,318 newly diagnosed outside of China. Okay, so, so there's almost three times as many new cases yeah. occurring outside of China, even though yeah. there's so few yeah. comparative cases. So it sounds like China's yeah. doing a really good job in terms of... Yeah, I mean, what it seems to indicate is that transmission within China is really slowing down quite a lot, yeah. um, and transmission outside of China is increasing. That's sort of... I mean, and bearing in mind that's worldwide transmission, so it's not like any country's got... 1,300 new cases, that's across the world. Sure. Yeah, but that, that's sort of what the, the numbers indicate. So do you think we're going to get a lid on it? Um, what, what are people doing? To, to yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I think there's general acceptance now from most, most people commenting on this, including from WHO, that it's, it, there is a very high likelihood of a pandemic, so a pandemic being cross-border or community transmission within a you know worldwide essentially within a lot right. of countries based on the fact that you're getting more new cases outside of china that's so basically yeah. going everywhere i mean once it starts yeah. getting to a lot of countries then it will go yeah. to every country i imagine yeah. yeah i mean unless the only way to stop these things is to completely shut borders but yeah. that's right i mean that's not a, a risk in this globalized world that is definitely not no. one of the options yeah it's and, not okay yeah. and and i i heard that that once it once it's spread like that, then it potentially or will just continue to perhaps evolve like a an other sorts of viruses and continue to spread around the world. That maybe you develop immunity to this particular strain, yeah. But then it'll evolve into new strains that you won't have immunity to and continue to to spread. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like any emerging disease. Eventually, it becomes what's called endemic, which means it's uh -huh. a regularly occurring disease. So that that's what has happened. So, like the common cold or like the common flu. Is yeah. So, like with, well, for example, swine flu. So, two thousand and nine, new strain of swine flu pandemic was declared, had uh -huh. a big impact around the world in Australia, and then now that is one of the currently circulating influenza oh, strains. So okay. that's, that's So a lot of this has probably had swine flu. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that flu shot that I'm getting yeah, is that protects you against swine flu. Right. Oh, or like a some some new mutation or, or, so, or Yeah. This. So what well, why why were people so concerned about swine flu and then now they're not what's changed because we've got immunity to it so because that, that's that that's getting. well not not just that but you think about it the big thing about any new disease is we don't have immunity so in the population as a whole you haven't been exposed to it before so it, when it's been around for a few years most of us have had it so we're not we're immune to it so it's not that we, we wouldn't expect it to keep mutating and keep changing it will be no different to the coronaviruses already in circulation the issue is the first time it affects gets into a population it can cause 
large numbers of people to become unwell at the same time because there isn't a baseline of immunity in the community. Okay. Yeah. So you don't want to have those large numbers unwell. Is that because it overstretches hospital services? Yeah. I mean, it's well, any new disease which has which you know has a very large number of people getting sick all at once is going to cause a real strain on health services. Right. Um. So that's I mean that obviously why you know part of Australia's um, response to this has been around this you know trying to prevent delay transmission or delay introduction as long as possible. And then if you look at the national plan around coronavirus, it's about then trying to contain it as much as possible and slow the spread within the community to make that, that peak of infection stretch over a longer time. Right. Yeah. So, so what about the, the 1918 Spanish yep. flu? Yeah. Is that still floating around in similar form? I, look, I don't. That was a, was that, I think that was H1N1 as well. Look, it's... What, sorry, what does so, so oh, yeah. M1 mean? Yeah, so... Yeah, no, so sorry. So flu has... Um, it, it's Flu is a... Ca- influenza viruses are characterised by the proteins on the surface of the virus. Okay, so... Okay, so that's just the, the general classification that scientists... Use. Yes, exactly, okay. yeah. So they'll be like... And they've normally got an H and an N, and then they'll call it a number according to the... It's a haemagglutin and neuroaminase... It's okay. the, the terminology, but it's so swine flu is H1N1. Okay. And last year, the main circulating flu viruses were H1N1 and H3N2 for influenza okay. A. So that, that's just terminology, and it's how you design the vaccine and and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, whether or not the the 1918 uh, virus is still circulating, I don't know. It's probably been replaced by others over time, but. There's, you know, it's, it's, if that was, but, but the, the virus is going to keep growing and changing. So the flu virus is a sloppy virus that mutates all the time, which is why right. we need a new flu shot every year. Okay. When you get a pandemic is when you get a big shift in the virus, like swine flu was. That was a big shift, which means that the population doesn't have a little bit of immunity from previous years. It's only, it, it's pretty much a new. Okay, so does that disease. mean the classification? So I assume then the novel coronavirus, there's no yep. formal classification of an H1N1 type thing because we don't. Yeah, like, I mean, sure. there is, but it's a, it's the, the classification of coronaviruses is, it's, it doesn't follow the same, I suppose, neat rules that we've got for, for okay. influenza viruses because they don't generally tend to change within the human population. Okay. You tend to get new ones like this emerging. There's, there's classification systems within it, but they're, they're not as neatly designated as they are for influenza. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so if if I get the flu one year yeah. and the next year a slightly different strain that's changed yeah. a little bit comes yeah. through, I my immunity to that other strain yeah. may help a bit. Yeah. So I might get a bit sick, but not as sick. My yeah. my system will learn how to deal with it faster. Yeah. Or, or you, you may or not you may not an- get sick at all. Or, oh, okay. Or, so yeah. the antibodies that I have against the other one might yeah. be effective against yeah, the new strain. Exactly. But then when you have a really big change, maybe those antibodies are totally ineffective. Yeah. And so you have to start that whole process of the immune system building new yeah. antibodies that are yeah. effective to yeah. this stra- yeah. strain, right? Yeah. Okay. And so with the new this coronavirus, yeah. new coronavirus, yeah. we've got no one's got any immunity to it. Yeah. And but once we do. If we get it, yeah. then it's unlikely to change as much as an influenza virus can. Yeah, that, that seems to be the case. And so seen. you probably yeah. just get it once in your life. Most more, Yeah, more than likely. I mean, there are now reports coming out about someone who's tested positive twice in the yeah. last few months. It's, it's really uh, unclear what that actually means. Though, okay. So, yeah. but, so, so this makes it it's true then that like yeah. sending your kids to preschool or whatever and then yeah. getting sick yeah. at preschool yeah. actually does help them through the rest of their life with diseases. Is that, yeah. is that true or not? Um, I mean, I don't know if anyone's 
done the, you know, with the, all the hard evidence that was around that, but it makes sense. Okay. Know? I mean, kid, the thing is, it, your kids are going to get sick at some point. Yeah. So I suppose it's whether they get exposed in, in childcare, preschool or school, they're going to get all these conditions at some point. And, um, and, yeah. and the, considering like the coronavirus seems to affect older people a lot more, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So it, if it, it'd be a thing that'd be quite good to get, I suppose, when you're we're young and healthy and can deal with it well. Yeah. And then, then you won't have problems with it, hopefully, when you're older. Yeah. I mean, it's you've got to be a little bit cautious because it is a novel virus, so we don't really know enough about it. Right. Um, one of, I mean, certainly, as you say, like the, 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 the infection rate in children is very low. Now, is that because they're not being infected or and is that because people are taking measures so they don't interact with them or is it because they're not getting sick when they are infected so they aren't being picked up? Are they actually being asymptomatic? No one really... There's not really good evidence right. around that at the moment. Um, it's... I mean... <laughs> One of the things with flu is that we know that schools are very good ways of transmitting. Yeah, you think you think yeah, like kids are the yep. the best. Yep. Like they get infected with everything else, yep. right? So why yep. wouldn't they get infected with coronavirus? Yeah, um, and it's it's not again, it's a novel virus. It's not really clear why that's occurring. Yeah, um, okay. I mean, certainly school closures are one of. I mean, they're not. School closures are one of the potential measures that governments take in response to pandemics. Whether or not that will be taken in response to this, given the seemingly low effect on children, it's really not clear. And there's, I suspect those decisions won't be made until we know more about what's happening. And I've, I've got this graph here that I, I printed out. That it seems to show that basically kids... You were saying that, that children seem to show little or no symptoms of the coronavirus and we don't know if that's because they're just not catching it or because they are just not very affected by it and then if you look at the upper age groups it's people over 80 are, seem to be getting um well people at around 50 60 are the people that are getting it the most but the people that are really most affected by it are people in the older age group so over 70 and particularly over 80 that's the majority of people that are dying from it uh, in those older age groups. So do you think that's just people that are less healthy and more uh, are more vulnerable? Is it as simple as that? Yeah, it's it's not entirely clear. I mean, as you say, um, this this graph reflects what's been shown elsewhere. And probably the best um, data for this is there's actually a WHO have released a report, which is a joint report on the Chinese experience and response to coronavirus. That's available on their website. And that was a, it's quite an in-depth look at all the cases that have occurred so far. Um, and what that really showed was that the highest risk was in the elderly people, so those over 60 and particularly those over 80, and they had by far the highest um, case uh, fatality rate or rate of death. Yep. Um, so it's whether that's because age is in a is itself an independent risk factor. So is it just you're old, you get sicker with it? Or is it because older people are more likely to have other conditions like heart disease or lung disease? And that's actually the risk factor is really okay. not entirely clear. So so then, does it, so is there is there evidence that suggests that those with um, sort of diseases such as heart disease or respiratory illnesses, um, are there cases where you have younger people that also have the coronavirus? 
Yes, and certainly that seems to be the case is that if you've got an underlying medical condition, you seem to be at higher risk of having a severe outcome from the disease. Okay. Um, I mean, and that, that fits in with what we know about most other diseases. So influenza is the same. We know that the over 65s are most likely to get sick. We know that heart disease and lung disease are risk factors for getting sick and being hospitalised with influenza. So it's a similar kind of pattern. Okay. Yeah. So... It looks to me right now that we've got 6,000 cases outside China, yep. even though cases, new people contracting the disease in China is going down, which is yep. really positive. It's actually speeding up in other parts of the world, like South Korea is really badly affected, Italy, Iran, right? Yeah. And we're, we're stopping people coming from China in Australia, yep. but people can come from any other country. And yep. it looks like, I mean, it looks to me like it's definitely coming to Australia and the like they say, it's going to become a pandemic and become a new endemic disease that's just mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Do, would you think that's that's reasonable, that it's almost certainly on its way to Australia and it's going to be a spread yeah. through the community? Look, I think, I think there's general acceptance that it's you, you can't keep these things out ultimately. Um, it's probably a matter of when, not if. Um, when? The when is still a bit undetermined, but I think I mean I, I think there seems to be acceptance around that. I mean the government's released and has enacted the coronavirus emergency response plan, so right. I think there's acceptance of that at most so that levels. So we're getting ready, are we? For yeah. Okay, yeah. so that yeah. so it does make sense to not have people come from China because it's buying us time to prepare ourselves, or what? yeah, I mean whether or not it, it's. It, Look, it's, I think it's a it's a complex question in terms of how you actually manage these things. That's yeah. the, the policy which has been enacted and it seems to certainly be effective um, at the moment in terms of we, we don't have widespread community transmission as far as we're aware. Right. Um, and there's sort of the... the it, the most effective, or any, anything I suppose is a risk versus, um, is, you know, the risk of letting, of having the borders, any kind of border control versus the potential outcomes of that because it's, you know, also affecting people's livelihoods and families. So I think that's a really difficult balancing act with right. the new disease. But, but if it's coming anyway, yeah. and you were saying earlier, what we yep. want to do is not have everyone get sick at once. We yep. want them to get sick gradually. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. On a population. Because everyone, yeah. like, most people will probably get it. Yeah. And so we just don't want our hospitals to be overloaded by the people that are badly affected by all at once. So we don't yeah. have the facilities for that. So we have the facilities for acute yeah. care available. Yeah. So unless we're doing something to really prepare ourselves, yeah. and there isn't any point slowing down the arrival because it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, do you know what? Do you know what sort of measures the yeah. government is doing to get ready? Well, I mean, there's okay. So you've got. I mean, you can delay introduction a few ways. So you can stop people coming from high risk areas. Yeah. You can make them have quarantine in a third country, like we're doing. Yeah. Or you can make them have quarantine at home when yeah. when they get here or in another place. Um, then you can also do any cases that do occur really intensive contact tracing, and that's being done. Yeah. So anyone diagnosed with coronavirus at the moment, their contacts will be traced, yeah. and then they'll probably have enforced quarantine to ensure they don't spread. But, but yeah. But it seems to me the only reason to delay is in yep. which to prepare. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So are we preparing? Do you know? Like I. I mean, I can't look. I, I can't speak on behalf of yeah. the government, but I know from my position as a clinician. So yeah. we've been getting updates from the chief health officer. Yep. We've um, the government has released stockpiles from the PPE, the um, personal protective equipment stockpile, including masks and face masks. There's a lot of information sharing going on. Yeah. They have developed a plan around, you know, and they've released the coronavirus plan. Yeah. I, I'm. I don't work in a hospital, so I'm not 
sure what the hospital plan is, but from a primary healthcare perspective, there's certainly um, a lot of discussion and preparation being made for this, yeah. Right, okay. So um, when it comes to, I guess, making those masks and other types of personal protective equipment, um, after, I guess, this, this, I guess, initial period of um, infections subsides, do you feel like... um, Australia will start making masks on their own. I actually don't know where the masks are sourced from, if anything. <laughs> like, is there enough masks in the world right now? It's uh, a, so I think, I mean, there's, there's probably not. Um, at the moment, there probably is a bit of a mask shortage. And one of the complicating factors is that China is a big producer of masks. Yes. Okay. In, and, and, and Wuhan specifically. Oh, right. oh, really? So, it's kind of ironic. Are um, those factories but, operating now? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I wonder how yeah. many countries will be accepting any masks from the area. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Masks have actually been given to China by other organisations right. as well. So okay. there's, I mean, this 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 is usually the case is that you, you there, there's certainly there's a government stockpile, but how long it's going to last and how well that's you know, I suppose how, how many how much that's planned for, it's not sure. I don't know if Australia's going to make masks. I suppose that will be and it probably sounds like a good idea, but I've got no idea about the industrial yeah. <laughs> manufacturing processes for masks, masks, how that actually works. So. I'm okay. not sure. Yep. Is there any other uh, hospital equipment that may also be needed, that also may need to be stockpiled as well? Like any particular drugs or um, or refrigerations for certain products yeah, what, that will help you out? What are you, what are, what are you doing for people or what are people, what is what do the hospitals do for people? If you come in really sick, yep. what do they need? So there's a bunch of different treatments and there's, my understanding is there's no clear guidance around those, but they're trialing various other antivirals so some of the um, medications used to treat the hepatitis C virus for example are being used in this there's no specific anti-coronavirus antiviral medication right um but there's so the the recommendation is around particularly supportive care so if someone so as you probably know one of the real issues with this is people get severe lung disease Uh now if someone's got lung disease from bacteria, you give them antibiotics. In this situation, you can't use antibiotics. They've got no effect against the virus, but you can still do supportive care. So that involves giving oxygen, making sure that they've got fluids IV if they can't have fluids um, through their mouths. You know, If they need intensive care, um, care, then making sure there's intensive care beds available. So those kind of um, real supportive care measures. So, are so it largely true. comes down to giving people pure oxygen so if they're having trouble breathing they get enough oxygen and if they can't eat providing everything they need yeah i mean it's it's there are also some much more specialized things in intensive care so it's like that's a huge field around medicine but supporting the body a little bit too complicated for us to cover right now (laughs) along with everything else yeah yeah But it's, but I mean, there's, there's a huge amount that can be done for very sick people, um, okay. right. up to very, very high end treatments. And, and yeah. that's, is that why you're seeing the much lower death rate in Western, like developed countries, as opposed to China? It's a, it's a really good question, and I'm yeah. not sure anyone knows the answer. Okay. I mean, even, I mean, China's actually got an excellent health system in a but lot of areas. But maybe it's a bit overloaded at the moment. Yeah, but even, even within, within Wuhan, the. Death, the case fatality or the death rate is much higher than it is outside of Wuhan in China. Right. Now, that may be partially care. It may be partially that the people we're seeing outside of China are healthier because they've travelled. So you're not going to travel if you're sick. So maybe it's old sick people getting it in right. Wuhan. But it also may be um, that they're only capturing the most severe cases. So if you think about it, if you're only capturing the very, very sick people, yep. if they're the only ones you're counting as cases, yep. then 
a, a higher proportion of them are going to die. So your case fatality rate yep. is going to look higher regardless. Yep. And there's all these people wandering around that aren't very sick that yep. they're not counting in the statistics. Yeah. And that, that may be what's occurring. Right. Again. It's, it's not, and I mean, this is the issue with the novel virus is it's really, there's just, just no time to compile this information. So no yes. one really knows, but that could certainly be what's happening. Right. Okay. Yeah. So compared to the flu, I forget what percentage of people are killed by by ordinary flu. It's like points one percent or point five percent. It's yeah, like an depend, order of magnitude. It depends on the sw- on the less, strain of flu. Yeah. In the year. So swine flu was a lot swine more. Swine flu was about zero point six percent. So okay. it actually wasn't that much higher than ordinary flu. So this um, might. So, okay. Year. Okay. Yeah. So so this is actually sort of in the ballpark of what. A bad yeah, flu might the, do. The, the case fatality rate outside of China is around one yeah. percentish. The case fatality rate in other countries is actually lower. Right. So okay. it's probably it's look it's it's probably a lower case fatality rate than the nineteen eighteen pandemic. Um, certainly lower than SARS, which is a closely related coronavirus. That was about ten percent. Um, maybe a bit more than swine flu, but yeah, it's not entire, and that that will become more evident over the coming months. So, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you can answer this question for coronavirus, but this yep. is something I've wondered about for years about yep. colds and flu. And if if we are sicker, yep. are we more infectious? When are we infectious? Like I, I often thought Excellent that question. before yeah. before yeah. you that I've heard that before yep. you actually come down with the flu and you're sick, you're actually infectious for yep. some time before. Yep. And that when you get sick, maybe you're not infectious anymore. Yeah. What, what is how, it, it's how does disease that work? dependent? Is okay, what it comes down to so the general thinking is if you're infectious and you're coughing and sneezing, by virtue of the fact you're coughing and sneezing, you're uh-huh. spreading your respiratory droplets containing uh-huh. germs everywhere. So right. And what about snot? Is it true that. that's full of viruses? Uh, probably. Yeah. Probably. probably. <laughs> no, most of the time, yes. We'll, okay. we'll say yes. Okay. So, okay. so often yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, there's certainly with this disease, there has been some asymptomatic transmission. So that is okay. transmission from people who don't have any symptoms. Right. Okay. So that we, means they've got the virus in their yep. body. It's yep. just chilling there. You yep. haven't really seen the symptoms yet, yep. but yeah. I can still spread it to someone if I would have Yes. There's, that's okay. been documented. Okay. How much that's driving the epidemic versus yeah. how much symptomatic people are driving it? No one yeah. knows at the moment. So yeah. could we say as a general rule with viruses though, yep. you can spread it even if you're not symptomatic, but you're much more infectious in general if you are sick. There's probably yeah, more of it in your system and you're spreading it around coughing through coughing and, and again, sneezing. It, yeah, it really depends on the virus. So it, okay. it used to be sort of the thinking that if you're febrile, you're more symptomatic. Also, yeah. you're more able to transmit the virus because you probably had a higher viral load. So get yeah. more of it in your system. Yeah. Um, but it, there seems to be more evidence that it's actually more complicated than that. Okay. So sometimes that's not necessarily the case yeah. for some yeah. viruses. Yeah. Okay. Just as a more general question, if yeah. someone were to be infected by coronavirus... Yeah. And they touch my hand. Does that yeah. mean I'm infected? Like, what's the? I guess what's a measure of how likely I'm going to be infected uh, that, from someone big... touching? Is there a measure in epidemiology? Uh, there's something there? called the reproductive number. Okay, and that's the, the the two different questions you're asking there. Okay, so one is the around how infected the virus is on in general. So the R productive the reproductive number or R naught is what it's abbreviated to is how um, on average how many people an infectious person will infect. So yes. for measles, yes, that's un- the one. Yeah. yeah, if for measles in an unvaccinated population, the average reproductive number is about twelve to fifteen. So that means that's that highly infectious. So that means one person can yep. infect twelve other people. Yeah. Okay. If, on, if they're unvaccinated. Yeah. In for influenza, the reproductive number is somewhere between one to two. 
Okay. This one, the estimates have ranged, but it's pre it's looking like it's going to be around one to two as well. Okay. So that that's sort of what it's looking like at the moment. Again, this is all it's a novel virus. It's emerging. It's not really clear. But then the question around whether or not you're going to get it if someone touches your hand, and the answer to that is, do you wash your hands very often? Okay. okay. So the skin's a really good barrier. You can't get a virus through someone touching your unbroken skin. It's not going to happen. Your skin's a fantastic protective cloak that we all wear. Okay. The issue is, is most of us touch our face all the time. Okay. We rub our eyes, we, uh -huh. you know, pick our nose or whatever. We touch our mouths. The skin does not provide a barrier to those places. So it can go into your eyes, nose, yeah, mouth. Exactly. They're the main entry yeah, points. Yeah, right. so that's when we inhale it, we swallow yeah. it, that's when we get sick. Right. So that, oh, that's why you're at Christmas Island and you wore a face mask, but you didn't yep. really care if maybe a little bit went on. Like, well, we also wore gowns there because yeah. the idea is, again, if someone sneezes on my top and yeah. then I rub uh -huh. my top and then I touch my eye, bingo, I put it in my eye so, and I've, so I've exposed uh, myself. Okay. Yeah. So it's coming from snot, from fluid, from your lungs when you cough, yeah. maybe from saliva? Is it contained yep. in saliva? Yeah, well, from... There's virus within saliva yeah so okay. it's, it's called droplet spread so that's uh -huh. these little droplets you generate in the back of your throat and you uh -huh. cough or you sneeze uh -huh. and they contain little bits of the virus right. so, yeah so and, and they can also if you just say you coughed or sneeze and landed on the desk and I touch the desk yeah within a set like it degrades over time but if I then touch my eye that's another way of getting it and I heard somewhere also that I think maybe poo is it's yeah poo? no well this is based on SARS so oh, one okay. of the early transmission and again SARS is a very closely related virus one of the early transmission pathways for SARS was a contaminated in a hotel where there was contamination of the air conditioning system yep. through fecal matter from a sewer which is because oh, to think about yeah. yeah. So okay. there's probably transmission through that way. Right. I don't think it's been documented in, okay. in poo at this stage, but so it's a possibility. Yeah. But you're probably generally less likely to touch someone's poo anyway. Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> you're unless you've got <laughs> just, I'm just children. trying to fully understand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so like a common transmission, maybe someone coughs into the air and you breathe that air in. If you're standing within a certain distance, okay. So droplets are pretty heavy. Okay. Right. So they fall down after about a meter. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. So that's why you stand a metre away, you're not going to get fall after a metre. That's good yeah. news. Oh. That makes me you think feel that, good. Well, you know yeah. when you're talking to someone, you have that awkward okay. moment where you sit. So it's not like... Yeah. That's, that's what's So if I stay in my <laughs> house, yeah, okay. if I stay in my house away <laughs> yeah. from other people, or just stay yeah. clear of other people yeah. in general, which is pretty easy to do in Canberra. Yeah. Yeah, that's you're already. Not just, it's not like my neighbour can cough in their backyard and I'll be in mine and like blow over into me. No, which no. is what I was imagining. <laughs> so that no, no, no oh, not going to no, happen. Yeah. That's great news. There, I mean, we talked about measles before with a really high reproductive uh -huh. number. That's yes. airborne transmission. That's because it's a floater. That's where you, it, that is a floater exactly. Ah, okay. So that's a different kind of transmission. And right now, we think's happening with. But this. we wiped out measles, right? So. We, so we've wiped out measles. Well, it's still around. So is there's it? still a lot of measles. Just we're all vaccinated. It's an excellent vaccine. So, oh, okay. But there's been big outbreaks of measles in the in the pollen, uh, Pacific Islands quite recently. So, oh, really? Yeah. And there's quite a, there's a lot of measles still circulating in the world. Okay. We're trying but, to wipe it out though. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's good we're vaccinated. Um. Yeah. Um. Uh, so, what, I mean, what should we do as individuals? Like, um. Even when it's yeah. in Australia, which it isn't really yet, right? Yeah. Then, um, what, I mean, should people be preparing now? What What should we be thinking about? We should all be washing our hands as often as possible. Okay. okay so, alcohol gel or soap and water for 20 seconds. Give them a good rub and, you know, get the get the virus off and dry them properly right. after you wash. Particularly um, before you touch your face or eat anything. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the issue is we all... They've done studies and we all touch our face about 15 times a minute. So, right. it's Whoa. really... So, so you, should we be wearing those, like, welding masks or something to... <laughs> Some sort of mask so we can't touch our face. Wait, if you if you want to, it <laughs> okay. might impact on your social life. Yeah, I, um, but I suppose that's one way of doing it. Um, 
but yeah, try washing your hands is a big one. Okay. Um, we should. I mean, coming back to your point about are you in, are you infectious when you're sick? Certainly, for some infections, you are more infectious. So generally, if you're sick, keep stay home from work, stay home from studies, keep your kids home from school. Okay. Like don't don't go out. It's just a socially responsible on. thing to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, keep that social distancing. So keep a meter apart from people if you can. Not mm. that easy for on the tram, but generally, yeah. you know, if you during flu season particularly, you try and keep a little bit of distance between yourself. Right. And others. Yeah. Should, wash your hands. Big okay. yeah. way. If you feel like you do have a little bit of a cold, but you really have to go to work. Yeah. Uh, is wearing a mask uh, like one of those face masks that I see yeah. lots of people wearing? Is that maybe a really good bar- form of minimal no, transmission? Look, I mean, if you think you've if there's probably some evidence that face masks help people who are infectious not transmit to others. Yeah. There is no evidence that people wearing face masks generally stops them getting it. Really? So, so okay. Really? You putting on a face mask and walking out through Civic, it's not gonna make any difference to your risk of getting disease. I, I thought, is what we is what the understanding is. But okay. when you were on Christmas Island yeah. with the patients, you're saying yeah. wearing a face mask is an important part of this this is a different situation for two reasons. First of all, you're around people who are potentially a higher risk of infection, that's why they're in quarantine. Okay. But you're also this is a wearing a face mask generally you when when you do this as a health professional or in any other setting where you're donning what's called uh, mm. personal protective equipment or PPE is you're doing it in a specific manner you're trained to do it you don't wear the mask any longer than maximum four hours or you take it off if it becomes wet you're not constantly touching the mask to readjust it so it's, right. it's a whole system it's not just the mask okay whereas wearing a mask when you're not sick to protect yourself you're probably actually touching your face all the time to rearrange the mask right. and you're also potentially wasting what it's, it's a potentially limited resource right. so yes we want to be saving masks for people who need them not for right. everyone else it's not going to make any difference so, so the reality of how people actually use it yeah. and how much they're picking their nose and touching their eyes yeah. anyway yeah means that it's basically it's ineffective as far as we can tell yeah. right yes. yeah. so okay. as a reasonable summary if yeah. someone was sick it would be yeah. reasonable for them to actually wear a face mask so they prevent it uh, yeah. the, the the spread but if i'm just i'm healthy there's yeah. no real reason for me to wear it to prevent other people to yeah so if, okay so if, we say some masks as if well you, if you turned up to hospital and said i've been in iran and i've got symptoms of a cold, they'd whack a face mask on you, okay? Okay. Because they're worried, they're they're trying to stop you transmitting it to others. But you walking through Civic, there's absolutely no point wearing a mask if you're healthy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. so in summary, like yeah. the, your main recommendations are: yeah, wash your hands yeah. well regularly. Yeah. Maybe try and be mindful of not touching your face, but that's going to be if hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> and at least if your hands are clean, then you're less likely to be yeah. infecting yourself. Yeah. Um, keep your distance yeah. in general especially from sicker people and if yeah. you're sick try to stay home yeah. and keep your distance from but other one people one meter is okay not 100 meters <laughs> so that, depends right. how much you like the person okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. so that, that, that's the main that's really yeah i mean look, the main things that people could keep in when, mind when people talk so the government talks or public health authorities talk about social distancing and and yeah. there's i think in south korea they're doing this but they're actually cancelling mass gatherings potentially closing schools so that's another form of social distancing to actually stop people coming together whether that will happen in australia you know, it's just unknown at the moment, but they're things you can do to protect yourself. Um, I mean, there's also, you know, get enough sleep, eat well, all the usual things to keep yourself healthy, but they're big ones, yeah. Oh, and get vaccinated against the flu is the other one because you can get co-infections of this and the flu. So moving into flu season, we need to remember that as well. Um, and what if, what if you've got a sick um, loved one, you know, someone, someone yeah. that you live with that you maybe need to care for yeah. or just at least be around because you live with them? Yeah. 
How should we handle that? Yeah, so first thing is if it's a sick kid, keep them home from school. If okay. it's a sick partner, try convince them not to go to work, okay? Um, they've actually done studies where they've put masks on carers and yeah. it's not particularly useful. Right. For, and it's not clear if that's just because we're not very good at wearing masks or if they're actually not effective. Okay. But again, wash your hands as much as possible. Get If you can train, kids are really good at this. They get trained to do things like sneeze into their elbow, not mm. their hand. Mm. Um, if you, but if, you, if, you, if your elbow's not available, sneeze into a tissue, well, that's your preference, and put the tissue yeah. straight in the bin. Don't carry a grotty hanky around the whole time. You know, but just that, you know, if, if you can maintain your social distancing then from your loved one, that's good, but right. that's not going to be viable if it's a two-year-old. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and if... I, I mean, I guess the chances are that you'd probably be exposed. Yeah. To yeah. it, but yeah. but if you're not, if you don't yourself get sick, then you might not be as infectious. The ch- like on balance, yeah. you're probably less infectious. So as yeah. long as you're not showing symptoms. You can probably still go about your daily life. Well, at the moment, uh, the the policy is if you're a, con- a close contact, that yep. would be a close contact of a symptomatic case, you yeah. would be in home quarantine right. until the end of your incubation period. Okay. So that's 14 days to right. make sure that you don't inadvertently transmit to others. Right, okay. Yeah. So that's what we'd probably be looking at, yeah, at least in the early stages. Yeah, of, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know if and when that recommendation is going to change, but that's the current management in Australia. Right. Yeah. And what, what do you think about people stockpiling food in there? In, uh, in order not I'm not doing it. If it's no. <laughs> okay. Look, okay. I think, yeah, um, yeah, I don't so, know if it's necessary. So then, right. um, whenever I uh, listen to the news, uh, the media outlets, yeah, the front line is always coronavirus. This is an up to date thing. This is, yep. and I feel a sense of almost panic in one sense. Like, I do I have to wear a face mask? Which, thank you, you I yep. actually don't now. Yeah, uh, as a healthy love, uh, person. Um, but what do you do? You feel like there's, I guess, a, a discrepancy between what the the information gets, like how that gets distributed to me, and what the experts are actually saying? Because it, it suggests that right now we have to be cautious, but we don't actually need to be in a state of panic. I don't. I mean, I don't think being in a state of panic is ever particularly helpful to anyone. <laughs> is the first thing. Um, but I suppose, I mean, it's the the media have an incredibly important role to play in propagating information and propagating it accurately. Um, I mean, I I I'm not sure if the media beat things up to make better news or if they genuinely if it's a failure on behalf of us as public health people and clinicians to better explain things i think maybe it's a bit of both but i think yeah being being in a state of panic is not useful there are reputable sources of information the government websites the who they all provide good evidence-based recommendations that sensible people can follow without any problems just uh, following off from that are there any reliable uh, like social media facebook pages that i can follow um because that's uh, one source of information that yeah. Most, most younger people would use. It, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I know some of the health, some of the local health departments I've worked for have their own Facebook pages. Um, whether the federal government has one, I'm not sure. But I mean, I suspect ACT Health probably does. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But you know, there's also I know a lot of the chief health officers have um, Twitter accounts, and for example, okay. so looking for those again, government reputable sources of info. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you. What did I want to ask you? Oh no. Oh, okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> so, um, that it looks like a vaccine is a fair way off. Um, is that, yeah. that going to make much difference? Is that something we can look forward to? Probably not in the short term is the answer. I mean, flu vaccines, 
uh, we have a well-established way of manufacturing them and they still take, you know, I think swine flu took about six months to come into distribution, whereas we don't really have a prototype for this. So okay. I think estimates are around 12 to 18 months. Um, but it, it's it's probably not... It's not something which is in relevant to current plans to contain the disease. Okay. Yeah. And so what... what how do you th- how are people containing it in the Italy and South Korea yeah. and, and what do you think would, would happen in Australia like I've seen videos of people in China being hauled off in, in minivans for yeah. to be isolated mm. is is that likely I'm, I'm assuming yeah you, you're going to be at least initially they're going to be saying if you've got coronavirus then we you we're going we're going to isolate you and I suppose treat you yeah mm-hmm. um, is that likely to to play, you know, if it becomes a pandemic, yeah. which it seems likely to, mm-hmm. um, is everyone going to be expected to be in some sort of um, hospital situation where they're isolated and being treated, or is it just going to become too widespread for that to be possible? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's there's two reasons at the moment. I think all Australian cases so far have been moved to a hospital for two reasons. One is for isolation purposes, and the yeah. second is because particularly in the earlier stages, it was unclear how sick they were going to be. So hospital is a safe place. Um, As we know more about the virus and know more that it's probably not as severe as was initially thought, the hospital treatment is not going to be necessary for that. Um, For home isolation is effective. We use it for lots of diseases. Um, At the moment, again, Oh, you know, already, if you're a close contact of someone with coronavirus, if you live under the same roof, you're going to be in home quarantine for 14 okay. days. So that's will probably not change until the if but assuming the disease becomes that's widespread, just, right? Yeah, but home quarantine—that's if you're asymptomatic. Yes, yeah. yeah. But my probably over time, again, if we look at swine flu as the yeah. the prototype. Over time, people who get sick with it are right. going to be assessed. If they need hospital, they'll be moved to hospital. If they don't need hospital, they'll be managed at home. Right. So if you're just a little bit sick, like you've got the flu or yeah. a cold. So if, if you or I, a relatively you yeah. know, young, healthy person, gets yeah. it and don't have any risk factors, there'd be no right. need to hospitalise us. So, so yeah. what sort of, um, how can we care for ourselves or um, other people at home? In, in that situation, um, I suppose why we do for most in most diseases, right. so we need drink to lots of water. Drink lots of water. Take Panadol. You okay. know, all <laughs> of that. They, I mean, they might look at. I suspect the treatment recommendations will improve over time, right. and we'll, there may become drugs, specific drugs for it available. At the moment, it's around again supportive care, though. Okay. okay. We've got two minutes left. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Other things. To share, um, Stephanie, or even key messages. Key messages. Key messages. <laughs> wash yeah. your hands. Wash your hands. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think be alert but not alarmed. Um, okay. Okay. Wash your hands and and trust. Look for reputable sources of information. If it sounds panic-inducing, it's probably not reputable. So okay. check it out. I reckon. Okay. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show today, Stephanie Davis. Um, so this this has been. Um, the Fuzzy Logic Show on 2XX, Canberra Community Radio. And we've had Stephanie Davis from the ANU, epidemiologist, talking to us about coronavirus. Um, and Atul, what's your last name, Atul? Uh, Atul Sharma. Atul Sharma is a guest presenter, and I'm Tom Strait. Um, okay, we'll see you guys. Well, thank you again. And, and thank you for having me, and thank you so much, uh, Stephanie, for oh. your very insightful talk. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I definitely me. don't That's feel great. very panicked anymore. Yes. Excellent. I feel excellent. much better. Excellent. I feel informed. <laughs> it's been really excellent. Yeah. Thanks very much.